Welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 54th Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show about two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistant to fear, mastery of fear, and not absence of fear. So let's meet today's courageous guest, Dennis Price. Dennis Price is a U.S. Marine Corps Force Recon, a scout sniper, a Ranger veteran who has deployed seven times in the military and has served as a private military contractor as a sniper, mobile DDM uh, with OGA, other government agencies, NGOs, non-government agencies for six deployments. Dennis has attended various special operations schools as well as the head instructor for field craft and stalking for the American uh, Army's Special Forces Sniper Course. Dennis Price was briefly in JSOC Tier 1 unit until his youngest daughter, Emma, Amelia, was born and diagnosed with two rare diseases, causing her to be hospitalized for six months from birth. After being life-flighted from Alabama to Children's Hospital of Penn, uh, Philadelphia, Dennis talked to the doctors about the need um, probability and frequency of having to be near the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And the doctors at that time said that Amelia will need to be with one hour emergency range to a specialized hospital. The doctors also said that for her two rare diseases, there was only two options, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and a hospital in Houston. Dennis made the decision to choose family at that time over career, and he ended his career at just under 15 years of service. Dennis is a Christian with a very strong faith in God, a loving husband, and a father of four beautiful kids. He's a boxing, Muay Thai, and Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, enthusiast, and enjoys competing in various martial arts tournaments. Dennis is also the project manager for Mighty Oaks International, and Dennis now dedicates his life to precision rescues by using his special operations experience and skills to rescue sexually trafficked children, HVIs, Americans, and help those in need, both domestically and globally. Dennis continues to be a voice and act upon being a human rights activist, a humanitarian crisis specialist, and an evangelist. I'd like to welcome Greedon's brother. Uh, welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you, and thank you for having me on. Hey, I appreciate you, man. So I usually start the show out with two things, and I'm going to do the same this time. Is One is I ask my guests, where did we first meet? Uh, that's my first question. So if you want to address it and I can kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah. So we met um, uh, relatively recently at uh, uh, Indoc uh, for a group called uh, CERT, which is Search, Evangelize, Rescue and Train that helps um, uh, rescue sexually trafficked children. Uh, so I was helping uh, one of my close friends, uh, Pastor Rudy Gonzalez, uh, run an Indoc course for finding new operators for people who want to be the action arm uh, and help support uh, rescuing sexually trafficked children under the, the banner of Jesus Christ. So that's where uh, we first met there. And um, uh, while filming, I think the Indoc, uh, uh, we, we, grew, we grew close and then you mentioned um, your show and uh, you, you talked about, I think, Send Me. And I, I told you how I was in, involved in the Afghan withdrawal and the evacuations, and that's what sparked this conversation. Yeah, I remember, you know, I, I was there filming with a buddy of mine, Lou Simon, the two of us, uh, producing partner, and we were there uh, to support Surrey, and I got a chance to meet you, and the training was pretty intense, but it was not only just training, but it was actually going out and trying to rescue uh, uh, young women who were sex, being sex trafficked. So, you know, filming some of that, and like you said, then getting the chance to kind of, when I interviewed you on the beach that day, got a little bit of hearing your background. And I was like, wow. I mean, you had just kind of worked through so many things, both in the military and now in civilian life. And I just felt like you have a powerful, powerful story to share. And I was just like, I'd love to have you on the show. So thank you, man. I really appreciate you being here. Um, you. And, you know, out, out of that, uh, the other thing I ask is, what does live courageously mean to you since that's the name of my show? And obviously you've had a life you've exhibited that in so many different ways but you know why don't you tell us what that means to you yeah so in the marine corps we talk about you know honor honor courage commitment uh the core fundamentals a decent amount and i've got pounded that in my head my whole career of what is courage 
Um, and I, I, I hear a common one because the root word of courageously is courage. And it is uh, um, courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to overcome fear and to do what needs to be done. I think you mentioned that earlier in the show, but I absolutely love that. And I never truly understood it. And I hear all these amazing war stories of all these heroes doing amazing things. And everyone always asks them if they were afraid. Uh, and only until recently with the Afghan evacs did I ever experience something where I, I think would deem that that um, that definition. And I, I, thank you for giving me props about my whole career. But really, I think it was just that uh, recently in life of trying to do the right thing when tensions and dangers were extremely high and we chalked up that we would most likely die but it had to be done because it was the right thing to do. Well, you know, we can jump ahead and jump back since you just mentioned that, I think, because that was one of the things you had mentioned to me when we were talking and you, like you said, that was so important to you because it was a volunteer effort on your part that you didn't have to, you were not in the military anymore. You were out of the military. And it was obviously one of the more, more dangerous realities because the U S government made a decision to evacuate uh, Afghanistan, but unfortunately they left a lot of people behind, both uh, translators and uh, American citizens and all kinds of people were left behind. And at that point you chose to get into making a difference. So tell, tell us about that, you know, that moment in your life, what, what, why did you make a decision and tell us what that was and what you accomplished. And then I'm going to play a little, a quick video at some point, but first I'd rather hear it from you because you, you know, you experienced it. Yeah. Um, so for the Afghan evacs and, you know, it's a, it's a pretty long story of, um, and I'll reference God the pretty much throughout the whole time because before him, I was an extremely broken man. And like, even though you, you know, when you labeled my career, it sounds great, <clears throat> but, uh, that's like, that's like a decade and a half of, of pain, torture, uh, misery, suffering all up until that, that forged me to eventually, be the guy who I am today and through falling on my face over and over and almost coming to the point where I would take my own life. That's when then God intervened in my life, <clears throat> showed me the way. And, you know, through my, my testimony um, of, you know, which I'll probably say later on or whatever, but uh, is that I felt that God called me to go and to save these people. I felt literally the audible voice of God come down and tell me you have to go save them. And it felt like I got struck by lightning when that happened. I was walking the halls of what used to be called Blackwater. Uh, if all the, like I said, I felt like I got struck by lightning, every fiber in my being, every hair on my, my body was standing up. And that's when I heard you have to save them. And, and I was like, what's going on? Like what happened? Like, so I go a few, few rooms over, turn on the TV and I see Kabul, Afghanistan about to fall. It hasn't fallen yet. And I was like, oh my God, what's, what's happening? And, and, uh, and then I was like, what can I do? And the next voice came and said anything. And I was like, wow. Roger that. I was like, you know, I, and I was like, what could I do? Uh, I knew 10 people that those 10 people knew 10 people, those 10 people. And quickly I called anyone and everyone I knew I got approached by a mission of a, a American citizen, dual citizen in Afghanistan trapped with his six children. Uh, and, uh, and they were in Kandahar and they got given on like day seven that the, the Taliban were going to come and his two oldest girls, 14 and I think 11, were going to be in seven days going to be raped and sold off to the Taliban. And I was like, Roger, I got given a mission. Uh, I got given a timeline and that's it. So I, I, when I called out all these people and I truly devoted my life um, then and trust in the Lord that this is what I had to do because I got called to do it. Uh, within 24 hours, I owned a 50 acre compound in Alaska, 24 hours after that, I had a joint special operations team of a Navy SEAL, a uh, special, uh, fo uh, army special forces guy, um, a, a few force recon guys and a, a agency member. And then 24 hours after that, I had a plane and authorization to land in Afghanistan. Day five, we rescued, uh, that American citizen out of, uh, uh Kandahar one day before his daughters were going to be raped off, raped and sold off to the Taliban. And um, and we were told that that was a suicide mission, that it was so hot in Kandahar that no one would support it, um, and everything from there, but that was what God sent me to do. And that was the right thing to do because who else is coming America at the time, they weren't, 
they they abandoned their people. They uh, you know, the government would like we we withdrew so fast and out of there that we left a lot of Americans behind, uh, vetted interpreters and SIV special immigration visas, um, guys all behind. And that's when we all we acted, you know. Did, did you spend time in Afghanistan prior to that in the military before that um, civilian rescue that you did? So I'm, I'm an Iraq vet and I did uh, uh, OIF and OIR. Uh, I did not do the Afghan tours. I did a whole bunch all throughout. And um, and then so during that the Afghan evacuation, that was the time I, I actually physically went in and went to okay. Afghan. And, and just to go back on your story, Dennis, because, you know, you kind of went through it real quick. And like you said, you know, like uh, I mentioned about, you know, you had served for 15 years. You went on seven uh, deployments and it sounds, you know, very attractive from the outside. But like you said, which you people don't get to see or understand that you were broken, that you were you were in a very dark place. You got to the point that you were personally suicidal. And, you know, a lot of times people just look at it from the outside, especially if they've never been in the military. Civilians have no clue what all that does to a human being and, and what it did to you before you were able to find uh, Jesus and turn around. So tell us a little bit more, man, because it, I, I think sometimes that, you know, how do you end up in such a dark place? Because on the outside, you wouldn't imagine that that's what was going on. Yeah, um, it's something I like to call the, the veteran's curse is that like, be careful for what you ask for um, because it'll come and it'll come tenfold. So uh, when I joined about 17-ish years ago, um, I joined the Marine Corps, uh, like 17 years old. Uh, and at the time, Iraq and Afghanistan were kicking and it was, uh, it was, uh, it was going off. So uh I watched 9-11 growing up on TV, uh, probably 14, 15 years old, and I knew I had to do something. Uh, I grew up in a very small town, uh, under, well under the poverty limit, with a very close family. My uncle was a Vietnam vet in, uh, as a Marine, and uh, so when I, I felt the call to serve, and I didn't really feel a place in life, and I felt like my nation was at war, I felt like I had to do something there. So at a young age, uh, I felt pretty patriotic, uh, especially at like 17 um, so I chose to join the Marine Corps six months later, I was in Iraq on top of a machine gun. Um, and that, mo uh, and that changed my life. It, uh, DJ price, uh, from small town, Pennsylvania on my third, uh, IED attack. Uh, it was an ID initiated ambush, uh, getting blown up, uh, watching my friends get decimated, being trapped on what we refer to as the X, the ambush site and not being able to get off. Uh, for hours on end, being shot at uh, from the town of Ramadi, that that moment changed my life, and it and it created such an inferno inside me. I was so filled with rage, bitter, dis, uh, hate, and discontent. Like it, everything that you see on movies, like Vietnam movies to war movies, everything that was the that is probably the most accurate thing from there, and then that spiraled me out of control from that moment on i lived and dedicated my life to war and combat going to volunteering for every deployment seven deployments ultimately you know and then every special operations school and just kept honing my skills in to be more lethal because i thought well when I, I started doing it i started seeing great success I was like okay hey god wants me to do this he wants me to be his war vessel i'm going to keep volunteering and doing all this stuff it only makes sense and then through all of this happening then, you know, like what you said in my bio, uh, my life came crumbling down right before my, my own eyes. And eventually I convinced myself that it was my fault and not just, I convinced myself what, what, you know, uh, us as Christians call the common enemy is the devil. Um, he got into my ear and saying, this was my fault. Your daughter was born because you dedicated your life to combat because you focused on so much hate and discontent that you served in that manner. You, this is all because uh, she's getting tortured and she's been born with all this because of what you did. And it wow. sounds, it sounds wild to hear and say out loud now, just me and you talking, but when the devil gets in your ear, <clears throat> it's literally like white noise to everything outside. And he convinces you and he dis deceives you to believing that this is true. And uh, ultimately, you know, um, uh, 
you know, I uh, attempted to uh, commit suicide uh, and then gave my life over to God uh, from that moment on. And, and when you did, what was what was that like for you? I mean, what was the how has your life changed and, and what both, you know, mentally and um, but your, your everything. What was changed about that? Because you obviously you were broken, you were suicidal and then you're not anymore. Yeah. Um, so when it all was happening, I felt like my uh, my my daughter was just removed from uh, our family while I was still serving active duty. I had uh, three other kids. My fourth was born. She and me got life flighted from uh, where we were in Alabama. Um, she got life flighted to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, like six, seven states away with my wife. And now I'm stuck, you know, uh, full time, full active duty with full parenting, all this other stuff. And then got like handed uh, uh, eventually at one point, a $1.2 million medical bill. Oof. And that was the moment that my life immediately came crumbling down was like, how on earth can someone give someone a bill like this to save your daughter's life? And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And that's when I let the voice in, you know, of the enemy in my head. And that's when it all spiraled from there. And at one night when I was at my lowest, I was in my, in my garage working out, I was biking on a recumbent bike about like, and I, I was I was working myself up even more. I got that, you know, the common enemy preaching my ear where all else was white noise. And about three hours in intense biking, I started staring at, you know, my handgun and was like, this this was the only way out. The military will pay my family five hundred thousand dollars. This is because of the things I did and the choices I made in life. This is my fault. I did yeah. this. And the only really way out is this way right there and it was just a couple you know of like a few yards away I, hour three goes by I'm, I'm intensely i'm trying to think of anything to calm me down trying to think of a single reason not to blow my brains out hour like three goes by i'm gun in hand and i, ca I can't think of a single reason i call one of my close friends because the military preaches that if you're if you're in a time of need call somebody if you have, if you're out on a limb and you have no other thing, call a friend. So I called one of my buddies, one of my close peers, and he didn't pick up. It was late at night, you know. Uh, I called him a few times, and I was like, maybe he can give me one reason not to do it. Uh, and he didn't pick up. Um, I was like, Roger, that that you know that this is this is all she wrote. Like no one, no one picked up. I tried to do it. It was like that's it. So. As, as I put put it up to my head, uh, a random statistic ran through my head, and it was that my children are sleeping a few rooms over. You know, um, a statistic ran through my head and said that if a, a parent commits suicide, your children then are five times more likely to then commit suicide. Oof. When I read when like and I haven't read that that, that stat in in years and randomly that popped in my head and I was like oh my god and then immediately it came up another one um, almost the same thing I, I've I have one son and three daughters so males growing up without a father are five times it, it actually says three to twenty more times likely to be incarcerated of of males growing up without a father and then followed up another stat in my head that females growing up without a father are five times more likely to have preteen pregnancies. I, the, those stats ran through my head when I was, you know, when I was, when I was at my, the end of my rope and I was like, man, how is it? I can't hack it one more day. I can't hack it one more month, one more, one more year. And I have a daughter in the hospital right now fighting for her life a baby fighting for her life to live and I can't even hack it and fake it one more day for my kids to have a better family and to have a better future. So I, I put down the gun. I was like, man, I'm so messed up right now. I, I went in my house uh, from my garage, turned on the TV, which is cornerstone, a Christian uh, one. And I was like, dude, I'm so messed up. I need help right now. And uh, you know, just like, you know, you, like you said in your, your bio, I'm a, I'm a sniper instructor. So I, just like in sniping, if your if your gun is off, no matter what you do in life, it is going to be off the mark. And you no, know, anytime you try to aim, so what do you do? You re-zero your gun. 
So for me, my foundation of being a Christian growing up that way and everything was like, I need to get back in the church. I need to go back to God. I need to go back fundamentally of who I am, what is right and build from there. So that's when I, I, um, I, I decided to, like what you said, I chose family instead of career. I got out at just under early retirement at uh, 15 years, um, moved out to Children's Hospital Philadelphia. was like, dude, I'll work four jobs. I'll work day and night just so my kids have a better family. Wow. Well, you know, it, it, that moment obviously changed your life and that decision changed your life and that uh, rebirth or going back to who you were changed your life and, um, and your family and everybody else, you know, benefited because you, you were able to do that. So, you know, what a powerful story, Dennis. Um, just to kind of like pivot back to where we were before you, we kind of went down the, that dark path before you turned it around. You know, you said uh, to go back to the Afghanistan stuff, you heard that voice telling you, you know, what can I do? And then you did all these things. And I know I, I you know, I had mentioned to you, um, I had met across people because I work in support for veterans in, uh, in the film industry. And I ran across some folks who had done this movie, Send Me, which was about going into Afghanistan. And I knew some other groups that were doing the same thing at the time. All these uh, veterans who had decided to step up and go do what our government wasn't doing to rescue people in need. So I'm gonna play a quick video uh, of that movie, Send Me, and then I want you to share your experience and what you did with that so that the audience can uh, uh, hear that. So let me just uh, fill that up on the screen right now. And um, let's see if I can, uh, and tell me, I think the, the voice should be on. <clears throat> it's impossible to explain the, the level of desperation that, that people felt. I mean, you just think that the first couple of days when, when people were trying to hang on to the bottom of C-17s, that's desperation that Americans, like Americans don't understand that level of desperation. It was a very clear mission, which was to go rescue Aziz. I knew that if I didn't personally intervene, Aziz would die. Chad and I connected, we'd worked together over the last several years, and I just said, you know, how can I help? It's great we're gonna go help Aziz, but I'm talking to this orphanage over here that's 3,500 orphans. Let's not just help this limited group. Let's help as many people as we can. I was either going to be sitting on my couch tweeting about how this is all up or I was going to be one of the 12 people that was making it a little less. 24 hours later, tickets are booked, then we're getting on a plane. I knew I would be more of an asset working with whoever's on the ground. The military was not allowed to go outside the wire. That was the rules of engagement. They can't go outside and help people. Americans, something can happen right in front of them. They can't go outside and help. The Taliban looked right at them and just executed the woman on their hood just to try to elicit response. Just to be like, super clear about who is in charge here. I'm going to murder this woman right in front of you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. Their version of crowd control was when it got out of hand, they would just dump an AK mag into the crowd. Whoever just made this decision to turn his bus around essentially just killed, just murdered these people. But some of those people are Americans. There's not enough emotional capacity left in my soul to be able to mourn four busloads of people that are about to die. I'm trying to save a woman and her children, but off to like five feet away from me is a, is a dead child. There's just everywhere. Let me just get that off the air. All right, we're back. You back, Dennis? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I saw it at that screening and I'd known Nick because I went to the GI Film Festival and I met him years ago at another movie. And then, like I said, there were some other friends who were doing, uh, veteran friends who with similar organizations were uh, putting themselves out doing similar rescues in Afghanistan. Tell us your experience. You work with Chad um, and then tell us the future of this. So, you know, for, for people who've never seen it up close, especially civilians, it's just, you know, it blows your mind, the brutality, the all of that. And then put, and then you're willing to go out there and, and do what it took. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that was the predecessor of what we then formed that called Save Our Allies. Um, it was with, you know, Tim Kennedy, Sarah uh, Verardo, um, uh, Nick, and uh, a few other people like Chad Robichaux, uh, myself and... Um, uh, um, a, a, a few other guys, if I'm, I'm missing them. Uh, so we we had to do what was exactly what I said on my story. We, we had we had to call to serve, and it was amazing because when this was happening, uh, I um, I didn't know any of these people before. I didn't know Chad Robichaud before. You know, uh, I really didn't know Tim Kenny. I had no clue really who I, I don't follow that stuff. So, um, so when I was standing. I got invited eventually after I saved uh, 55 people, I got invited to go to the, the Senate and, um, and form uh, an organization, which then became Save Our Allies. Uh, we had to go around the room and say who we are, what we did and what we can do in the future for this new company that we're uh, or nonprofit that we're doing so we can go and save the remainder of Americans left behind. Uh, and that's when I, I you know, eventually stood up and said who I was, uh, what I could do in the future and what I was doing in the past. Uh, uh, for the Afghan evacuations, uh, after that meeting, uh, Chad Robichaud came up to me. He's like, he's like, man, I, f I feel really compelled with your story. He's like, please tell me about your career and everything from there. Uh, I give him a short little blurb. Um, and then he's like, that's amazing. He's like, I was also from third, third force recon. He's like, I also was, uh, in JSOC and did, you know, eight, um, uh, short deployments over to Afghanistan. And we have a very similar, uh, career path. <laughs> so, uh, he's like, how would you like to go and do a um, to go and save the remainder of the people who are still there after the fall of Kabul? And uh, I've never met this guy in my life. I have no clue who he is. And I'm like, well, I told you that uh, I had the uh, I had to call to God. I told my wife before I came down here. I said, uh, and it's it was my company's quote after that, and it's what I try to live my life by now. Uh, and it says, in order for evil to prevail. Good men must stand by and do nothing. So I'll say that again, just because it truly, it really sets up who I am and how I try to live life. Kind of like you live courageously. So in order for evil to prevail, good men must stand by and do nothing. I said, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know who he was. He told me his background, everything. Um, and I said, well, if there's still Americans that are left there, uh, then yes, I'll go. He's like, okay, awesome. And like two weeks later, I'm on a plane going with uh, Chad Robichaud. And I, I had to like quick and hurry Google search who he is. And I'm like, okay, I feel, I feel a little safer now because he does have <laughs> the same background as me. He was an MMA fighter, you know, a massive believer in God. And, um, you know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, old core, new core, uh, mixing up together. And so we, we end up doing um, uh, uh, about 90 miles of border recon and continuous operations behind enemy lines, just me and him, uh, to go and find routes for more people to, to build es uh, escape routes and uh, evacuation routes out of Afghanistan from a neighboring country. So um, throughout that time, we, uh, there were, uh, the Panjir River Valley of Afghanistan was covered in landmines. It had, because uh, Tajikistan was like one of the last um, uh, owned providences of, uh, of the USSR, uh, the Soviet Union. So th there's Russian KGB uh, snipers in the mountains. There's Russian tanks everywhere. There's t uh, Tajikistan guards, like, you know, spread throughout that whole entire border. Then eventually, as you got hired northeast, there was Chinese militants guarding the border, and they're trying to stop anyone, Afghanis, trying to come up north and, and evade out of there. And uh, that's where me and Chad was, you know, doing just two-man special operations of just – of trying to identify routes to get these uh, Americans or vetted interpreters out and into safety. And, and just, I don't know if this is a, um, 
if this is a picture of it, but uh, I'm going to put this up. Is something you sent me. Um, so let me just real quick uh, share the screen and um, see if it's if it's up there. Maybe not. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. All right, I'm gonna try. I'll, I'll try that after. But anyway, this is a picture uh, of uh, one of the things here, right? Uh, of that area, and um, you know, that's the area you were talking about. Um, how long were you there with Chad? How long were you doing that? It starts becoming a blur just because, like, we didn't sleep. Like, we went days without sleeping, and sometimes we'd we you would have to share like an hour of sleep a night living sleeping on the side of the mountains in afghanistan like hiding out that it, and like in the rocks that if if someone would catch you then you're you're gone like you're executed so we even though we uh we slept like 20 minutes per each night we weren't really sleeping so i think that the total actual mission was like 2 weeks long uh, of on the ground there, but like we were actually there for like a little under a month or so. Um, but we were running like about 10 plus days of just continuous operations through there. That's when we covered the 90 miles. And that that's that that picture was a, a picture that I, I took when we were about three miles on foot in the Panjur River Valley. And we we heard, hey, you know, they cover this area with landmines, all this other, you know. So we're walking uh, uh, you know, through there trying to uh, establish routes. And all of a sudden, like three miles in, we like look up and I see the most animated sign. I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, so I like he's like, what? And I like hurry up and took a picture of it. And I was like, Dude, we got to get off this road right now and we got to get back into a vehicle. We got to figure out a way to, you know, bypass and then to select a different area that is more feasible. Um, so. Yeah, well, this, is the, this is the video you sent me. I think it'll play now. Let me just give it a shot. Um, um, and this is if it's yeah. on the screen, do you see it? Mm, All right, yeah. This is a, just just to see the the scope of these mountains, um, and yeah, that, that's a video I took uh, when um, if you, if I think Congresswoman Hartzler, whenever she speaks, she talks about me getting shot at by a sniper. So where I was taking that video is the exact spot that I got shot at twice by the, the KGB sniper up in the, up in the mountains. That's the Panjir river. And yeah, it's, it's the harshest terrain I ever seen in my life. Wow. Well, before I played, I, I do want to play the Congresswoman's uh, uh, video uh, as well. But before I go there, uh, Dennis, you know, so you there with, for 10 days scouting out these ranges, you and Chad, and just in, in the most dangerous area that you can possibly be, you're not getting any support from the U S government or the military or anything like that. They, U.S. government made a decision to back out, and and, and then by doing that, you were on your own. So and your whole team that further. So after you did that, you scouted it out. Eventually, the teams the team came in and started to take people out of Afghanistan into other countries, right, surrounding countries to save their lives. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we pretty much built a like an intelligence packet of uh, viable routes, and and then we eventually handed out to like uh, you know U.S. Uh, intelligence agencies from there, and then um, and then that that would get funneled down to those people, and then they would get given a route to to for lack of a better word to save their life due to these this in intelligence packet that we just built out. So that uh, it, it was able for them to get in and get out of areas, and and for lack of better words, save their their lives from some of them, uh, some of those areas. Or did Taliban checkpoints to um, uh, you know Russian KGB or uh, you know what used to be called KGB uh, areas, and then it, it just this massive you know packet that we we passed up. And and, and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong. I, I know you you guys rescued hundreds of people uh, uh by your efforts and i know you know recently about a, a, a couple of weeks ago someone reached out to me to connect um, uh, them with somebody else and they're still uh to this day rescuing people and taking them into pakistan and then trying to get them out of pakistan and get them into a better place because pakistan isn't the safest place for them either so it's so this ongoing um volunteer work to save people who uh, supported us and were part of our uh, efforts over there continues um is that is that true so now that 
all of the smoke is cleared and after the Afghan evacuations happened, the State Department retook that mission back and they do have channels and pub uh, and areas to for these people to put up through there. And they dropped the hammer hardcore and said, no more cease and assist all operation. Now we are getting it back and any kind of like uh, action that continues to do this stuff will you know will be charged with so so we we now the the state department has uh regrouped and has policies in place to for these afghan um sivs or or uh uh p1 and p2 status to to get out of afghanistan but it's it's owned by the taliban so like sure how are they going to have paperwork? How are they going to get out of there? You know, so it's, it, it is a very sad situation that, that people are ongoing and battling with. Um, but we'll, the, the best thing we can do is point them to the state department and, and, and tell them now they have to trust that true process and what's going on. And then, and look into neighboring countries and, and to how to properly uh, evacuate out of there. Uh, and, and tell me a little, you had mentioned a little bit before we got on, on the show about um, an, another uh, film project that's coming up in the future, and that's going to kind of tell a little bit more of this story. So tell, tell the audience a little bit about that and what, the, what that looks like and when it's coming out. Yeah, so uh, I'm not sure how much I could say on the movie part, but so the book Saving Aziz, uh, it already came out this past year. So Aziz, actually, I'm in my office right now. He, his office, it's, it's, connect, it's right here uh, next to me. And we work together. So Aziz in um in send me that that's what started this whole thing is is Chad Robichaud's uh, love for his fellow brother who saved his life every day uh, in eight deployments in Afghanistan as an AFO advanced force operator, and uh, they were doing two man operations the whole entire time. So he went in to save his uh, his best friend, true love for a brother, and uh, and it just it then quickly evolved into saving you know ultimately i think it's like fifteen thousand people through send me and uh, save our allies um so uh the, so the movie uh the book saving aziz came out with uh chad robichaud and he writes it very well where it's like extremely accurate uh that's chad and myself in afghanistan right there in the panjir river valley um so he he writes it with like uncanny ability of like of conversations we had and it's like word for word i'm like and i always ask him like how did you remember he's like i journal every day and i just write my thoughts i'm like that's amazing that you're able to tell a joke or something that we a conversation we had with extreme detail a year or so ago so he, he wrote that book uh i highly uh, recommend everyone to read it. it it truly glorifies god in this miracle and not just our actions because like 10 to 12 guys no regardless of your special operations or not that no way were we smart enough, you know, capable enough to pull something this, like this magnitude off. Like it was truly God's miracle. And we we're just thankful to be a part of it. And what was the, what is the name of the book again for people? Saving Aziz. So Saving, saving Aziz. And then Aziz is, uh, is, was the interpreter and my close friend now. Uh, he actually had, uh, he spent my daughter's birthday party yesterday at our house with uh, his kids. Wow. Um, well, I definitely check out Saving Aziz and then uh, next year, and you can't get into it too much now, but there'll be a, a film project that will also take that story and share that as well with uh, the general uh, public. I'm going to throw up some quick pictures of you uh, in different aspects uh, of training um, at different folks' periods in your life. So I'm just throwing them up to give people a little bit of a look at uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff that... Uh, you've done and then you can kind of comment on some of them as we uh um as i come back to you but i just wanted to give uh folks a little bit of of some of the visuals of what this uh, uh looked like so um just comment on some of that if you if you may yeah so uh all of those ones in the military that you just saw or like me in like uh training whatever that was all what i said when i uh when that mission came down and ultimately i think the last picture that had um uh um the family of uh from kandahar yes so that was the that was the the first american i ever saved out of afghanistan from kandahar he was a alaskan citizen dual citizen in afghanistan and uh and that's what started it all and it, and i got him out like 45 minutes before abbey gate blew up wow um, so it was it was crazy and abbey gate was the uh right at the 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 thing where 13 people died 13 soldiers yes. correct yeah, it is um, and then you see the, so 
in the the uh, book Saving Aziz, it talks about there was a, a forty, I think it was forty two Russian tank convoy. So that picture was taken on the side of the road uh, from a camera of the Russian tanks that were headed to our position, uh, where we had to conduct a uh, E and E, which is escape and evade. That that was headed to our position when we called for quick reaction force QRF to immediately escape and uh, or get out of there off the objective in the Panjur River Valley, and that was headed immediately to our position. Wow. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to play the video uh, uh, of the Congresswoman. I'm going to play that right now. We'll come back from that, and then I want to pivot into the work you're doing today with uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation, what they do, how important they are, um, their efforts for veterans, and how people can support Mighty Oaks. Um, but let me play the, the video first, and then we'll, we'll come back to uh, talk about Mighty Oaks. Um, General recognizes the gentlewoman from Missouri, Ms. Hartzler, for five minutes. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to honor the extraordinary heroism of Chad Robichaud and Staff Sergeant Dennis Price during the Afghanistan evacuation last year. Their selfless actions evacuating tens of thousands of Afghan interpreters and their families, vulnerable women and children, persecuted Christians and American citizens represents the highest levels of patriotism. I met Chad through his work supporting our nation's veterans as the founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, a leading nonprofit serving the military, veteran, and first responder communities around the world. Through faith-based combat trauma and resiliency programs, Chad has been instrumental in ensuring our brave warriors are supported when they return home from the battlefield. Chad's work doesn't stop there. He's also the co-founder of Save Our Allies, a nonprofit focused on the evacuation and recovery of Americans, our allies, and the most vulnerable people trapped in Afghanistan. Save Our Allies began as a personal quest for Chad as he set out to rescue his long-time friend and Afghan interpreter. However, the mission quickly evolved because of Chad's compassion for all people and his servant's heart. While the U.S. military held the Kabul airport in Afghanistan, the Save Our Allies task force successfully extracted approximately 17,000 evacuees in a period of 10 days. Despite these courageous efforts, a report from the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff estimated over 142,000 vulnerable Afghans remained in the country following the exit from Kabul. With the complete takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban, the report projected 20 million women will be vulnerable to sexual abuse and slavery. Christians will be persecuted and executed. Afghan interpreters and their families would be hunted down and killed. Children would be abused through religious manipulation. And the 1,000 plus Americans left behind would be killed or held hostage for ransom. Understanding the ruthlessness of the Taliban as a former force recon Marine, Chad Robichaud knew the rescue mission had to continue. In response, Save Our Allies launched several operations to explore new ways for extractions. Robichaud and his team first identified possible ground evacuations that could be feasible by cross-border movements into Tajikistan and quickly planned a reconnaissance operation. Robichaud hand-selected Staff Sergeant Dennis Price, a Force Recon Marine and Scout Sniper, to take part in the mission. I want to share two stories from that mission to highlight their incredible acts of sacrifice, service, and bravery. Early in the mission, Staff Sergeant Price sought a higher vantage point to evaluate a potential river crossing area. Upon his scent up the mountain, he came under sniper fire two separate times, pushing him back to return to the safe house to reconvene with Robichaud and discuss moving forward with the operation. These two brave men humbly discussed their families, loved ones, and all that would be left behind should they not make it out of this mission. Still, both men agreed to continue their mission of building safe passage for American and Afghan evacuees. 
During day three of the mission and upon confirmation of a possible river crossing, Staff Sergeant Price found himself 10 feet away from an armed Chinese militant hiding in the bushes, utilizing the vegetation as concealment. Robichaud, using his uncanny observation and combat skills, noticed the looming threat and physically ushered Staff Sergeant Price into a nearby vehicle before he could be captured or killed, ultimately saving his life. Because of this heroic act, the two men were able to continue providing real-time information to American intelligence agencies. During their 10-day operation, Robichaud and Price were able to cover 90 miles of border between Afghanistan and Tajikistan, remaining undetected by countless Tajik, Russian, and Chinese military patrols, all while avoiding Taliban-infested areas and checkpoints. These examples and countless others that cannot be shared due to their sensitive nature underscore their exemplary efforts undertaken by both Americans behind enemy lines to collect the critical information needed to bring so many to safety. Mr. Speaker, I am humbled to stand before the House to honor their courageous bravery and willingness to sacrifice their lives for their fellow man. The mission that these men completed has saved and will continue to save hundreds and possibly thousands of lives. On behalf of a grateful nation, I would like to express my sincere gratitude. God bless Chad Robichaud and Staff Sergeant Price for their service to our country. I yield back. All right. Um, Powerful, powerful story about what you guys went through there, um, Dennis. Um, tell us anything beyond that of what you know she shared, or anything you want to share beyond that uh, about that um, effort. No, uh, I mean she. She. I'm just. I'm. I'm so thankful to, you know, uh, to be, you know, honored by uh, Congresswoman Hartzler for that, uh, and then to be, you know, ultimately, like I said. Everyone always uh, comes up and, and, and tells me, you know, thank you for everything you did. And like all this other, you know, of, and I'm like, honestly, like I was just, I was just called. I, I felt the Lord uh, call me and I was just obedient. You know, I, I'm just thankful. Like this was God's miracle. And I was just so happy to be a part of it. And that, that's all. So it's, it's not that I really did just disobedience. You know, ever since you obviously made that change, you know, you've, you've gone on to do so much and this is just one piece of it. And you continue to do it uh, today and with uh, organization, uh, the Mighty Oaks Foundation that was uh, mentioned multiple times. And I think, let me see if I, yeah, this it is right here on the screen uh, about the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Um, you work for them now. You're, uh, let me grab a quick picture of you up here, international program manager with them. Um, Tell us a little bit about the Mighty Oaks found, uh, program. They do so much work for veterans and maybe just share what, what it is, uh, how people can support them, how people can financially support them or just support their effort. Tell us a little bit about that, um, Dennis. Yeah, so um, Mighty Oaks uh, Foundation is an amazing organization by uh, who's created from you know my, one of my best friends in life uh, and mentors, Chad Robichaud, uh, who was in the, you know, who we did this uh, operations with. Uh, it, a younger me would have benefited a lot from, uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation. Uh, I just suffered through, uh, the, the pain and trials of life trying to figure it out way late. Uh, so Mighty Oaks, uh, it, it's a Christian organization that, uh, helps veterans, uh, with, uh, uh PTSD and it, it ultimately, um, it, it helps them through sp spiritual resiliency, and uh, through our program, we we it's all inclusive. We uh, we take a veteran who uh, is in need, or uh, you know, is is in need of help. If if it's referenced by their their wife, their family, you know, sir, uh, another service member, or themselves, we they go to one of our our locations. They uh, we 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 put them through the process, and it has seen great results, and it has helped save thousands and thousands of lives and it's an amazing organization that helps veterans uh who are suffering from uh, ptsd and through using spiritual resiliency you know uh and bringing god into all this which you know like i said in my testimony is how i was able to you know ultimately change my life over but i i i had a tragically uh to find out the hard way and i wish i would have had an organization like mighty oaks early on to to teach me that 
Uh, how long has Mighty Oaks uh, existed? When did Chad found it and where are you based? And then um, once again, obviously people can go to the website, Mighty Oaks Foundation to get more information, to support, to donate, to do whatever you can to support Mighty Oaks. And I recommend it. But tell us, when did it start? And like I said, when where is it based and uh, that kind of uh, information? Yeah, so uh, we now are building our uh, Mighty Oaks headquarters here in Texas uh, in kind of like the Conroe area. Um, it's like an hour and a half north of Houston. Uh, that is uh, Mighty Oaks HQ. We have about four, uh, loca uh, four to five locations across the U.S. in California, two in Texas, one in Ohio, and one in Virginia um, that we send out uh, – uh, our students out to and and realistically it doesn't matter where you're from because we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna pay for your plane ticket we're gonna pay for you to go to an all-inclusive um uh program and and we're gonna pay for it back so it doesn't really matter if you live in ohio and you want to go because like you have to be at that location for their that that entirety so um to so that's where we're at it, it was founded about 13 14 years ago with chad rubbishaw what and and things that similarly to my testimony that he suffered in life, you know, uh, panic attacks, anxiety, uh, severe PTSD, and eventually, uh, you know, um, trying to attempt suicide only through his relationship with Jesus Christ. Was he able to then find God and live a spiritual life and lean on that spiritual resiliency pillar that we we all too often forget about. We we know there's you know uh, emotional strength. We know there's um, uh, emotional, physical, um, uh, and then um, social with our friends, and then there's spiritual. So just like a chair, if one of those legs uh, are broken off or weak, it looks like it's standing. But once you slightly apply pressure, it's immediately going to tumble. And and that's what we've seen in the, in the veteran community that people all too forget about. And if it's, you know, the, how America shifting and all that and pushing God out, but that's what we have seen. And now I'm the international programs manager, regardless of your religion or regardless of your country, we still see, see that these, these four pillars of resiliency, it, it remains true. So when we go to like Ukraine or like Poland border or like, um, teaching Afghan SIVs here in America about uh, spiritual resiliency, it's still the same problem. It's still spiritual resiliency, and through that, will you overcome, you know, PTSDs uh, to, and it'll ultimately restore uh, families and and change your legacy. So, well, it's I mean, it, it, it's powerful because, like you're saying, you know, that those four legs and having that resiliency, because at the end of the day stress, you know, post-traumatic stress is a human reaction to trauma. Um, so it, it, it's what the body does when you go through trauma, whatever form of trauma it is, right? There's war trauma, there's other trauma. But what you're trying to do is take uh, uh, the, the skills and give people the resiliency to basically overcome the trauma that they experience because the trauma is real. They experienced it. But now how do they deal with the trauma? What what do they need to overcome that trauma? And those four legs and particularly what you're suggesting, the spiritual resiliency is so important to give them the, the ability to overcome what they experienced. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's yeah. powerful, man. Yeah. Um, and then I guess to answer one of your other questions was uh, uh, like, what do we, uh, ongoing efforts? And um, so... Now that I, I, I'm dedicating my life to, you know, to serving the Lord and truly helping others, that's all it is, is, is like, and there's so many organizations out there. There's, you know, there's Mighty Oaks who are saving 22, you know, the, the stats are about 22 veteran suicides a day. That's, that's ridiculous. When I go to my, when I go to have lunch with my, my kids and I see they, that they have on average, like 17 to 20 students. If you just put that in perspective, like each one of their class is veterans a day worth everyday suicide. Like that's what that, that that's, that's a, a pandemic right there. Like what, what are we doing in America to stop that? And, and Mighty Oaks has been referenced multiple times in Congress now of, uh, you know, truth about PTSD, the books um, to spiritual resiliency and, and is, and is now being advertised as one of the, the leading um, organizations that are uh, preventing uh, these, these suicides and helping actually, 
uh, uh, research and everything saying that we're helping tremendously the veteran uh, population who are people who go through these courses. So um, there, there's organizations like Mighty Oaks uh, out there doing amazing things for, uh, from God uh, uh, and doing great things out there in the, in the world. There's people like I mentioned, CERT, you know, uh, Slave Free Project, uh, Free Burma Rangers, uh, with Dave Eubanks, you know, who's truly doing God's work all throughout the world in like Syria to, you know, all the other places in uh, Burma and, you know, around the world that I'm not sure that what can be disclosed. But these are all amazing people who are doing it. They're doing the same thing. They're just helping other people. And and there's no return on investment. It's not like you're 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 donating to these organizations and and they're filling their they're out there saving lives, changing legacies every day and helping people. And that's what I love about this. Like, you know, ultimately it's, it's humanity. Just like when Afghanistan fell, it was, what are people doing? It's just truly when, when, when we, there is no more government solution and there's no other thing like that. People are stand up above the ranks and they help their fellow man. And I, I absolutely love this world I'm in. I have like, you know, mentors now, like Pastor Rudy Gonzalez, who we mentioned, you know, Chad Robichaud to, you know, Joe Fairchild and, and a few other people who I, I might be forgetting. Uh, but who are truly mentored in my life and changed my life and allowed me to grow in, in, in ways I've never imagined before. Well, I think, you know, well, one, I, having met you and, and uh, having experienced, you know, a little bit of your story that you gave me when I was there, just I'm, I'm honored and blessed to have, uh, you know, come across and, and have met you in, in the way that I did. And I think, you know, what I saw, of course, is, is your, you know, dedication to your fate, your dedication to service, your dedication to others, your dedication to make a difference, you know, and, and that's, I think we can all learn from that. We all need to learn from that, you know, and, and have that spiritual resilience and then, and then be willing to uh, answer the call to action when the call comes and which form it comes. And you've answered it in so many ways, both in Afghanistan, with Mighty Oaks Foundation, with CERT Ministries. You just do so much of doing that. And I think that's an inspiration to uh, uh, people, whether they were in the military or not, that there's a way you can serve. There's a way you can step up. There's a way you can you know, make a difference in life. And, and you're doing that. So like I said, I'm honored and blessed that I met you, uh, Dennis. Um, as we get close to wrapping up, anything else, you know, I just kind of, you want to close on, share. Um, I would recommend people go to Mighty Oaks Foundation website, uh, check out all the great work they're doing and support them and donate and see what Dennis is doing with them. So that's one way that uh, you can get involved. Uh, anything else you would want to uh, wrap up on and uh, just share with the audience? Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing, like you, you mentioned, you know, you don't, um, and this is what I, I say in one of my testimonies uh, uh, is that you don't have to be some kind of special operator or any kind of veteran to do something in life. Uh like, um, like Ro Rosa Parks and all these amazing people in life, um, put a put a stand and and use their sphere of influence to to do great things out there. You know, they 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 weren't you know um, a a special forces operator or anything like that. They just did the right thing and they knew what had to be done. You know, uh, Harriet Tubman was not a, a, you know, a force recon scout sniper or anything like that. She was this little old black lady who didn't have shoes, who who created the Underground Railroad and walked in the wintertime without shoes to help do the right thing. You don't have to be a trained opera. You don't have to be a veteran. You don't have to do anything to do amazing things out there in the world. It's, it's finding those resources and these amazing groups that we mentioned before from like Mighty Oaks to CERT to Free Burma Rangers, you know, any of those people who are doing amazing things, you don't have to have the background to do that. You know, all like in Proverbs in the Bible, it says, you know, trust the Lord with all, all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will strengthen your path. So when we hear all this, like, like I said, Harriet Tubman, she, she was not a trained operator. She did. We, we, we talk about her in, in all, all through history because she did the right thing because she she lived courageously and she knew what had to be done regardless of the ramifications. So just just go uh, go out there, find find organizations who are, who are doing amazing things, help support them, donate, uh, you know, uh, retweet, 
uh, follow, what all that other social media stuff is, and 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 see how you can actually help support them. You know, one hundred percent. I think that's a great way to end it because you you just summed it up. People are being called to uh, to service. People are being called to action. And whoever you are, no matter what a walk of life you've come from or where you've come from, the call to action, the call to service is to you individually as well. It's not to only others, it's to you. And so I think the way you just summed that up and, and asked people to do that, I think it's a great way to do it. So I, I um, totally um, echo that, man. All right. Thank you for having me on. Hey, brother, thank you. It's like I said, it's been an honor and blessing to meet you. Uh, I look forward to meeting you, you know, uh, again in the future with some of the stuff that you're doing and um, whatever I can do, always feel free to reach out to me and I, you know, uh, support Mighty Oaks Foundation, go there and support the work that Dennis is doing with that organization and other organizations. Um, so Dennis, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and uh, God bless you, brother. And uh, like I said, look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you so much and God bless you. Have a great day. You too.